When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. And welcome everyone to a live broadcast of Rock M Radio. Uh, this is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. It's season seven. Uh, we are live Tuesday, December 12th. It's just after 8 p.m. Uh, I am your host, Sam Snelling. Uh, to your right, if you're watching this on YouTube and if you're watching us live, and you are, uh, is Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Sam. Uh, I'm glad that uh, we're channeling our own Bill O'Reilly tonight and just going live and giving people an unfiltered view of the creative process <laughs> and maybe talking basketball at the same time. So uh, there, There's always always basketball to talk about. How much we actually talk about basketball, uh, we're usually pretty good about it. Uh, I'll, I'll say that much. Um, so let's go ahead and let's just start with like the biggest news of the moment. I think a lot of people uh, were pretty excited today. Um there is a, a, a five-star prospect uh, from Columbia, Missouri, who chose the Tigers. Um, that would be 2025 point guard Aaron Rowe. Uh, he's grown up in Columbia, went to Father Tolton, was at Link Academy last year, and Branson mm-hmm. is back at Father Tolton. And I believe he just got uh, cleared to, to play the yeah. rest of the season after his transfer, uh, which 10, is also good news. Yep. Um, so, hooray, the 2025 uh, recruiting class starts with a, a local kid, a five-star prospect, a point guard. Could you have asked for a better way to start your 2025 recruiting class? No, I really don't. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I don't know what else you would you would have wanted from them. Maybe for him to be a top 10 prospect, I don't know. Um like even down to like play style, it's a really still possible. Really great still possible. Still possible. It's early, um, and now they have time. They have, you know, we, we can get to talk about that a little bit. But they've got time now to to you know dedicate resources to other prospects that are on the board. Um, 
granted it's December and we're in the middle of the season. So I don't know how much of that's going to happen outside of maybe trying to get guys on campus, but no, from a narrative perspective, from a timing perspective, from a play style perspective, I don't know what else today could have left anybody really wanting as an outcome here. You know, I, I don't think, you know, you and I always try and, you know, take a nuanced view of this and we try to avoid, you know, hyperbole, but I, I really don't know what else you could have asked for out of this situation than what transpired today. And I think, you know, when those moments happen, you should acknowledge it. And so today it really, really was, you know, I think it, it's obviously great for Aaron. It's great for him to, you know, say, you know, whether it was on a live stream or say to the local reporters, you know, I came out of that visit and I didn't think I needed to waste any other coach's time, you know, for him to feel that certain for him to feel that resolute is, is awesome. You know, I, I think you and I have, so from different perspectives been around the recruiting process and it wears on guys, but guys hang in and they go through it, you know, hoping to get to the best outcome. So for him to have that clarity and that sort of sense of, you know, comfort with the decision, you know, a year ahead of schedule is awesome for him. It's awesome for his family. So I think we should start there by saying really, really happy for him that, you know, he feels that good and, and that committed. And then for the program, you know, I think we talked about the first day Dennis was hired here, this was a guy you go see the first week and they did and you get in the gym and you go see him and you start building that relationship. And, you know, I think you start anticipating, you know, when are the blue bloods going to start moving in? When are we going to start really having to hope that our relationship has some mileage on it and has some durability. And for them as a staff, ba to put basically it, like, the, you know, the, the Caleb love approach, like, yeah. you know, you anticipate at some point that, that that was going to happen. Uh, and it never happened and, here. It never happened. Well, and, never... And, and to also, you know, part of that is, is Aaron shutting this down this quickly. Um, you know, this is, this is really, uh, you know, like we, we talk about Caleb love, like love was a guy who didn't really start to blow up uh, until the, you know, the spring uh, after his junior year. And here yeah. it is, you know, in the middle of uh, the winter of, of Rose junior year. And he's, he's saying, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I, I like where this fit is. And, and so yeah. that opportunity to, to kind of, you know, get more eyes in the spring, you know, where the blue bloods kind of tend to, to, to recruit, um, you know, steers them away. And not to say that Missouri couldn't have fended them off. No, no. Um, I, I, yeah. I, but, but I do think that that is, you know, it, it is significant and it does sort of help Dennis Gates and his staff set themselves up for the rest of what they want to do in this class. Yeah, yeah. The way I sort of look at it is, you know, he could have gone into spring and, you know, waited to see, you know, what KU, I think, is probably the biggest name offer he had. You know, Texas was in there as well. You know, that's no slight to Tennessee. Tennessee's been really, really good under Rick Barnes, but I don't think you historically associate, you know, Tennessee with a, a blue blood. They've been very, very good in the last decade or so under Rick, and they have a, you know, history – you know, that, that's, you know, it's pretty prevalent in the 70s and early 80s too. But, you know, Kansas had not really ramped up here. You know, you hadn't seen Aaron, you know, invited tonight at Fog. You hadn't seen like unofficials there. You hadn't seen Bill start trying to really work his way in there. That didn't happen. And I think that was always sort of the thought process there was, okay, when is Kansas, you know, the regional blue blood going to start trying to make a move? And as I wrote today, 
there are connections all over that roster. There were three Mocan guys that were kind of the core of that national title team. There's a Columbia kid running the point guard spot for them right now. So, you know, and they, you know, Bill can sell development up and down the ladder too. He's been, you know, whatever people want to say about dubious professional ethics, he's really, really good at developing guys. And to not even like get to the point where that was a pitch I think he had to worry about is impressive. Um, it's, it's just a really, really, you know, I think sort of big win for the staff that they carried this much momentum that they carried it and got it done this quickly. And to your point, this spring now, you know, the change in the recruiting calendar makes that a little easier to bear. Now they won't have to decide, you know, do I need to be at a grassroots event versus handling portal? But now, you know, going into spring, our, you know, our centerpiece is here. It's done. It's locked in. We can now go through, you know, April and May and really focus on, you know, what we're going to do next year. And then we can begin to filter and get the next two to three big pieces to go around Aaron, and, you know, for them, it's great to say, look at what we have lined up for you. We've got Anthony Robinson, we've got T.O. Barrett, and now we've got, you know, Aaron Rowe lined up. If you're looking to come in and play with really good table setters, you know what we have here. So I think it makes their pitch a little easier to make. Uh, and so we did have we have a, a few kind of questions coming in. So okay. I'm gonna you know drop one on uh, because I think this is kind of where we should kind of go next. And like, what yeah. is what kind of player is Aaron Rowe? Um, you know, I think you know you've watched way more film. If anybody has followed dive cuts uh, long enough, know that um, you know Matt Harris is a guy who will in his spare time watch you know four to five grassroots games just on a whim uh i i don't quite have that level of patience (laughs) (laughs) but uh but i have seen uh you know enough of aaron to to at least kind of start this off and for me the best thing that you're getting is uh is a guy with who plays with great pace but also Mm -hmm. great speed uh and that combination is not something that you always find in a young player uh and he's been that way since i first saw him when he was a freshman yeah. Uh, very, very top end speed can get to his, uh, his spots very, very easily. Um, you know, but he never looks like he's in a hurry, uh, yeah. and never looks like he's, you know, flustered or, or sped yeah. up. Like he plays with that pace. And, and yeah. that's, I think when you look at the system that Dennis, uh, Gates wants to run, um, you know, a little bit more up and down. He's really, a, you know, as as much of an ideal fit. And the fact that he is a Columbia kid, and here's a coach that has the system. It's just like, uh, like, I'm, yeah. I think this is a great fit. Part of the reason uh, the clips I sent out yesterday look kind of same issues. They're all early clock, which Dennis empowers his guys early in the clock, and there's either no screening action or just a flat you know, ball screen, a butt screen, and then just, hey, can you go make a play? And this guy can go make a play in the middle gap. The first one to one and a half steps, ramp up speed is fantastic. Never looks out of control, though. Always able to get into the paint. Always on balance. Footwork is fantastic. A little more righty dominant in his finishes, but he can go either way. Um just fantastic and early clock at understanding how to play with the right amount of pace, but gets there quickly. Um, at least when I've watched him a lot with Mocan, he was part of a three guard lineup. So you saw him attacking an early clock, 
and then they would use him kind of in some late clock action to go hunt for them. But in that in-between time, you know, when Dennis wants them running offense, he's a guy that, you know, you can have kind of move the ball where it needs to go, but he can still make the right reads and pick and rolls. He can still make the right reads. You know, if he's got to play off the ball and find cutters, he's very, very good at, I think, staying, you know, decisive without being careless. You know, I think there he can clean up some reads, you know, sometimes on the backside of plays. But realistically, when you watch him at full speed and you watch him in ball screens, he's doing 80% of what you want him to do. And, you know, to have that kind of guy, you know, who can, you know, within the flow of your offense, just take a ball screen and, you know, create easily out of it and make right decisions is fantastic. As a scorer, um, I think he gives this team something a little bit different. You know, Dennis has talked about wanting to shoot a lot of threes. What I love about Rose, he's just fantastic with dribble combinations and that mid-space off one dribble, use the pull-up, and he can get to the elbows. He can get to his spots. He's really, really great about carving out space but not needing to sort of like ball stop to do it. So he can play in those kind of in-between spaces out of ball screens in the half court. He's fantastic in early clock, makes good decisions. And the thing about it is he's only going to get better as a finisher as he gets stronger, as he adds weight and as he gets – and he adds that strength. I think you're going to see him – you know, really become a guy who can punish people downhill out of those ball screens. So fantastic fit does what they want to do plays at the kind of pace they want to play at. And you just, you know, the one thing is if you can find full games of him, he's playing up against guys that are sometimes 15 months older than him and mm-hmm. does not look rattled, you know, in the first 15 minutes of a game, I watched this summer against Dylan Harper. He's going right at him. The number two recruit in the 24 class, not backing down, not back, you know, not, shrinking in that moment he's staying level-headed staying composed and, and going toe-to-toe with him i think that's fantastic it's just the mentality and the right mix of skills he's he's an absolutely perfect fit for the way this team wants to play yeah he's listed as kind of like six foot uh six foot one yeah. um maybe that's stretching it uh i think currently listed about 160 165 maybe yeah um which is definitely on the on the more slender side uh you know, but I, I just think like when you when you look at uh, everything that like Dennis Gates wants to sort of accomplish with his his offense, uh, what type of you know playmaker at point guard do you want to sort of plug into that spot? And I don't know that you could have created a player any better than than like Roe is for for this this team this roster and sort of like how he's going to kind of fit once he he hits on campus now it is it is going to be a couple years yeah (laughs) so um i think i had heard you know maybe some uh you know rumors of of a reclassification i i don't think that is a real possibility at this point Uh, um i mean like Nothing would ever surprise me when it comes to, you know, decisions to reclassify. Uh, but I feel like there hasn't been a lot of legitimacy to those rumors. Yeah. Um, I think there's just a really good opportunity for, for Roe to kind of, you know, become a real fixture in the, in the 2025 class, become, you know, a, a solid five-star kid. He's currently ranked uh, 20th in the composite, 20th in uh, 247 sports uh, individual rankings, um, the number four uh, point guard. Um, he is a, a five-star in the composite, a four-star in the rankings. Uh, 
And so that is one thing to kind of take into account. We're going to refer to them as a five star because it sounds better. <laughs> and we uh, use the composite. And, yeah, and, and we really we we tend to focus on the composite, and the composite is also like a lot of the you know the lower end five star kids that are year out, like they'll get that fifth star usually, um, you know, when they refresh the rankings in, in, in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. So it, great fit. I, I think the thing that I saw today was somebody asking about him on the defensive end, you know, is there a worry there? I think if there's one thing you want to worry about, it's, you know, does that frame hold up? You know, teams will target him sometimes in pick and rolls. They'll target him sometimes, to get switches into ISOs against bigger guards. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as he gets stronger and his frame fills out, that lessens. It's a, you know, it's a valid critique right now, but he can't <laughs> help physical maturation at this point. Right. Um, but when you watch him play and he's got to execute coverages and you've got to, and he's got to execute scheme, he's locked in, he's focused and he does the job. I just think, you know, there's a reason you could say, eh, what about the defensive end? Something that's out of his control. That's why there's two years until he shows up on campus and his body yeah. will fill out in that period. And I imagine those concerns will ease as that takes place. And uh if you if you wanna, you know, target him early, uh he'll he'll be, you know, backlined by uh you know, Jordan Butler and and uh Trent Burns and Peyton Marshall, who um are all that's kind of saying. tall. Yeah. So <laughs> there's insurance back there. Uh, well, like we said, the, the this is a, a great way to kind of kick off the 2025 class, which this is going to actually move in where we, we did want to talk about, uh, which um, is sort of what the board looks like uh, with the rest of the 2025 class. Um some of this is is open to some fluctuation. Uh, yeah. I would, you know, anticipate because of, um, you know, them adding both Burns and Marshall in this last class, the likelihood that they uh, fall in love with a big is probably lessened. Um, maybe no. not, yeah, maybe not completely wiped away, but I would definitely say lessened. Um, and they're always going to be looking for, you know, wings and skilled forwards, uh, yeah. you know, guys that kind of play that, that, that hybrid role, that three, four spot. Um, yeah. So who are those guys, Matt? The two guys they've had on campus this fall, um, Jasper Johnson, a high four star, five star, uh, combo guard originally out of Kentucky, uh, and then had transferred to Lincoln Academy. That's where he's playing right now as part of an absolutely stacked backcourt. Um, he visited in November. Uh, they'd been working all fall to really get him on campus. I think they're, you know, they're really excited about, you know, getting that uh, visit done. Uh, and in October, they had Efiosa Oliogu, um, a 6'5 wing uh, out of Canada, who's running at DME Academy in Florida uh, on campus. The scuttle there was that, Oliogu may be looking at a reclass into 24. Um, so I've been keeping kind of an eye on Johnson as the other guy there. But he's a combo, a little bigger than Aaron Rowe, 6'4", 170, 180. Uh, if you like Shawnee's kind of play style, that's what he's kind of like. The question is, would you take two ball handlers in this class? Um, I think mm -hmm. they're particularly worried about, are they going to be too young at some point at the guard spot? 
you know, I, th- I think in the spring you're probably going to see him target somebody in the portal. But Johnson's a five-star guy. If you can have, you know, as many great skilled kind of ball handlers, that's a good problem. I think the the one thing that's going to be worth tracking over the winter is, you know, can they get inroads with a guy like Jalen Harrelson, uh, who's from my neck of the woods in northeast of Indianapolis in a burb called Fishers. Uh, he is now at Lalu Academy, uh, North Central Indiana, runs with Indiana Heat. Uh, they tracked him over the summer. Uh, Trey McKinney was supposed to take an OV. He's out of the Detroit area, out of Flint, actually. Uh, but that was canceled because he had to go to a USA basketball minicamp. That has not been rescheduled. Uh, some other names I would keep an eye on. Uh, Terry on Bird is a really, really kind of like fluid, hyper-skilled four-man out of Benton, Arkansas. Uh, played with uh, Missouri signee uh, Honor Botang for Arkansas Hawks. But uh, I can imagine the State Razorbacks will be targeting him as well. Chuck Love, uh, who took an unofficial last spring. He's a wing out of Nebraska. He's also gone to Lalu Academy. His dad was a former assistant coach with the Nebraska Cornhuskers, so that's sort of the connection there. But he really, really impressed over the summer at the Elite 100 camp uh, put on by Nike. And then uh, a local kid, Nick Randall, who has dipped a little bit in the last couple of updated rankings. I think he's below 100th in the composite right now. Uh, But he's a 6'7", kind of hybrid 3-4 wing uh, out of V-side in St. Louis. So those are kind of the five, six, seven names I'd look at right now. Johnson and Oliogu have taken officials. Uh, Love and Randall have both been on campus for unofficials, and there's some out-of-state guys that I would look at. But that's kind of where things were coming out of fall, I think. It'll be interesting to see if they get anybody else on campus uh, for an unofficial or an official visit this winter. But for right now, it looks like they're kind of at the same time pivoting to the 26th class. But those are some names in 25 I would put a pin in. 26. Yeah, sheesh. Um, sheesh is right. Three years away. What from year commitment. is it? <laughs> We're at that point now. We're at that point. But yeah, uh, that, that's what it yeah. kind of looks like at this point. Yeah, I don't, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, like Roe was always very clear uh, to me anyways that that he was, you know, so high Off on the board. board um you wanted to make sure that you could lock him in. Now that he's locked in, I feel like you could go a lot of different directions and and you still finish with a great recruiting class. Um, There's still three recruiting windows between now and when he gets here. You know, I think that's the thing people have to keep in mind is there will be the spring period where they'll probably be portal heavy. Then you got to sign row next fall. And then before Roe even gets there, there'll be another spring period where you can dip back into the portal. They've already run 20-plus bodies through this roster. Like, it, you know, I'm sure you'll consider a scholarship math piece here, but, like, I looked at the projections, and if everybody stays, if there are no defections, everyone loves it in Columbia, no one wants to leave, <laughs> no one is upset, everyone is... You know, seeing Kumbaya, there's and everyone least, is told that they should stick around. Like, you correct. Know, that's another part every, of it, yeah. And my, <laughs> every, everyone's copacetic with the situation. There's three spots in 25. A ball handler was one of them. A wing was one of them, and kind of that flex four spot was probably going to be a need. What the that changes 
based off what they do in the portal this year, you know, and then I think the bigger deal is what happens next year after some guys sophomore years, when I think guys are really going to have a better sense for if they're going to be able to, you know, make a go of it here. And will there be some defections then? Like everyone's happy right now. I think, you know, everyone agrees that it looks like the freshmen are going to be back next year, even off 10 games. But after that, you know, do you start to see some defections? We don't know. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's always a good idea to keep an eye on wings with this with this staff. I really think skilled wings is probably a better area to look at. So if you see 25 wings, that's probably a, a position I'd put a pin in at this point, especially given that they've, you know, Honor Batang is going to want to get out of here quickly. You know, Marcus Allen's going to hope to develop quickly and get out of here, you know, within a couple of years. So wing would be where I would go, but... At this point, I think it's just best to put a pin in names and then just see how the needs for this roster evolve over the next 18 months or so. Yeah, I think we're we're at a place where like I I definitely want to see who's going to stick around after this year. Yeah. You know, before you start to and I will probably do a, a scholarship math post at, at some point in the near future just to kind of you discuss this because once you sort of have an addition, then it does change the math. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it is, it is difficult to project that far out, you know, like we've just been so used to these like kind of like late cycle additions, um, you know, and, and Dennis Gates and his staff have been, you know, very quick to add, uh, you know, quite a few names early and i think that kind of gets to you know a question that I did want to uh, address from from kyle here which is how big of a deal is it that they wrapped up the 2024 class early so they could very uh you know kind of quickly turn the focus on 2025 um and i would like my first comment to that would like i don't think you ever stop recruiting no like any any particular class like if there's a, a possibility uh so even like right now i don't think they're done recruiting uh, and 2024 recruits. If the right player, the right situation kind of pops up, they will continue uh, to add to that class. I do think it's probably unlikely that uh, yeah. they add any more, you know, freshmen. Um, yeah, I would say that's you know, to, exceedingly low. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but, you know, we'll see kind of like what happens with the portal, uh, you know, and then you can just kind of go from there. Um but you know, the, I think there is an advantage to uh, to sort of having, you know, having your core group, knowing that you've got that kind of set. You know, they're they're signed. Let's let's you know start making sure that that we uh, you know we we put our primary focus and energy into into twenty twenty five, and and let's let's get let's get this row kid locked down. I think that's kind of what they did. Yeah, uh, you know, I think I wrote it a year ago on signing day where it was like there's time is the most important commodity you have in, in any endeavor. And, you know, this staff, you know, gave itself options, you know, I think of the initial group that they had visited here, only Marcus Allen and T.O. Barrett committed. There were six or seven guys that visited early. Like Jordan McCollum was a guy they were happy to get on campus last year. He wound up kind of plateauing and he's at Murray state. You know, they had guys that they got on campus that, it just didn't pan out. And so, but they had a board developed to where they could then, you know, they had scouted, they had you know, formed some early relationships and they could shift and evolve. I think, you know, getting the 24 class in the barn early 
you know, it was just helpful because they didn't have to try and the market, you know, outside the top 100 is pretty thin right now. I don't know if you would have gone out and you would have found guys irrespective of what you could have done in the 25 class in 24 it would have been really, really hard because some of those guys that maybe you could, that would have waited until spring to see if their stock would go up. Well, those spots might vanish because the portal's there. So like a Jordan McCollum who might've waited until spring to see, Hey, will a high major come back around with the spot. That's not happening. Those high majors are going to go to the portal now. So Jordan McCollum, a borderline top 150 kid, is going to go play at Murray State. That's fantastic for Murray State. So for yeah. Missouri, it it getting the class done early, I don't know if – I think it helps, obviously, you know, them work ahead for 25. But I think just for 24's sake, it's important because there's not a lot of backup options. There are no more plan Bs and plan Cs where a kid's going to, you know, wait it out. They know a school's going to go take the proven production of the portal. So they're going right. to go commit to a mid-major. So I think for 24, it was big because it meant they weren't in a spot where they were having to, you know, go from a top 80 kid, you know, telling them, sorry, I'm going to go somewhere else to, all right, there's no one between 100 and 200 in the composite we can go get. We've got to, you know, really go take a developmental guy or we maybe have to reach in the portal for somebody that we don't want. So I think, you know, it helped obviously in 25 up to an extent they could work ahead, but I think you have to look at 24 as getting done early meant that they didn't really have to compromise as, you know, going through the winter and into spring. So that, that's kind of answering the question, kind of not, but I think that's how I look at 24 and, and what the early work there did for them. Yeah. Uh, so I guess to kind of, you know, wrap this all up, um, you know, it is, it, it is, great great news that you're you're basically getting this started this early that you're getting your 2025 class started with this kid this early uh you know we we kind of mentioned how good of a fit he is um you're you're sewing up a you know top 20 top 25 level player in your backyard uh you know before his you know, big off season. Cause you know, the big off season is always, you know, spring uh, to the end of summer for uh, you know, for kids kind of going into their senior year. Um, and, and that's kind of where things stand. Uh, anything else that you want to head on recruiting wise, you want to turn our ten- attention to the, the, the team that's actually playing basketball for Missouri right now. No, no, uh, I'll just say again, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Aaron, happy for his family that again, just that, you know, they felt, comfortable enough making a decision right now it's it's i think it's a it's a good sign for them that their process was pretty well defined that they had a clear conception of what they wanted and what a successful outcome looked like and you know just you know for them to feel like this is it it's really great for them and i'm happy for them and you know you and i you know say a lot of the time even if a kid doesn't pick mizzou we just root for them to find the outcome and then success that works for them you know, just hearing the way Aaron talked about his process today and sort of how he came to the decision, it sounded like there was a lot of certainty and a lot of comfort and, you know, I think a lot of satisfaction in how it went. And so that that's just what you root for, for these guys. It's stressful enough, you know, the scrutiny that they face, you know, even from us, you know, even from me putting out film stuff is, is really, really high. So for them to get to a point where they're really happy, it, it, it it's it's heartening to see. So I just want to put that out there and say it's it's great and we should be happy for him just to reach the outcome that worked best for him. Yeah, and that was. I think there was a, another comment um, 
earlier in the chat. I was kind of trying to find it, but the comments were loading a little slowly. Um, you know about that. You know, it's also possible that uh, you know that that Roe and his family, like you know, the recruiting process is is you know can be brutal, especially for a kid. You know, like you've watched it. You've you seen know, it from yeah, like like Aaron. Um, yeah, like when you're that level of a kid, you're getting a lot of contact and, and it can, it can wear you out. So, you know, being able to kind of shut it off early, you know, may benefit him. And so, you know, kudos to Dennis Gates and, uh, and, and that staff for going in and making sure that the relationship was, was terrific. And then you, you basically say like, well, let's just stay home. Let's get this, get, get this wrapped up. Um, I guess turning to uh, lesser news. It's going to leave the uh, chat. What we're yeah, about. yeah, we're actually doing really well. We have you know forty or forty-five people and uh, you know watching right now. So thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, let's talk about the border war. Um, wow. So Ooh. we don't really need to spend a whole lot of time here. Uh, I said a lot in study hall and how I felt about the game. Um, you know, I I do think that Missouri is playing better basketball. Uh, I thought they really missed an an opportunity. Um, yeah, I thought they they played well enough early, and if it wasn't for you know a, a couple, you know, like you you know that the run is going to happen. Yeah. Like your 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 hope is that uh, you know instead of a twenty to two run, which it ended up being. It's more like a twelve to two run. Um, it's going to happen in that building. Like, there's just no yeah. way to get around Kansas not making a run. It happened um, to UConn in that building, a top five team. Right. It happened to UConn. Yeah. And, and UConn, like you know, outside of that few minutes <laughs> at Fog Allen, they look like they're you know destined to you know win another championship. Like they just looked incredible. So it's going to happen. What happens outside of that? Uh, can you lessen the impact? Uh, and I thought there was just a lot of a lot of opportunities where you know, like little things that Missouri did to just sort of not quite. Yeah. I, you know, the the one that stood out to me is even like the you know a really nice slot pass to Aiden Shaw who can't convert. You it. know, yeah, just hit him in his hands. He just didn't catch it, and it's just like so many of like little plays like that where you have an opportunity to to make a play uh, to sort of take some wind out of the you know the KU sails, and they just couldn't quite do it like that you know once KU got ahead Mizzou did enough to hang around but they could never get over that hump there was yeah. uh, I think at one point they were down eight and missed you know back-to-back -back possessions yeah. I think one was uh was the turnovers miss on a three and then he had a, another turnover. turnover on the next play and it's just like you know like that's just you can't you can't do that and win in Fog Allen and you know Missouri has now had uh, I don't know, like 15 opportunities to win, win there and, and come up empty uh, and, and all fit down. I don't know if 15's number. It was 1999 was the last time. Yeah. Uh, Britney Spears's Hit Me Baby One More Time was the number one song in the country uh, the last time that Missouri won in Lawrence. I, <laughs> Watkins will, you know, mm -hmm. do kind of the, the autopsy on this tomorrow in his – you know, usually pedantic way. Uh, I cut video for that this afternoon. Um, you know, I'll borrow a phrase that, you know, you hear European soccer and that's talk all the time. You know, do you have a clinical edge about how you play? 
you know, when there are opportunities, do you, is build up play good? Do you do everything right? Is the movement right? But when you get in front of goal, do you finish? And I felt like there were a lot of times where Missouri just didn't have that. You know, we talked about the 20 to two run, you know, Missouri had a 13 to three stretch midway through the second half, which included like a mini seven Oh run by Connor Vanover. They were getting stops, legitimate stops. KU hadn't quite like mailed it in yet. They weren't quite like just going to protect the lead mode. They were still playing and Missouri whittled it down. And so I look at that 13, three stretches kind of doing what you were talking about, turning a 20 to two run into a 12 to two run. Hmm. So you've essentially offset the big chunk of that run. Can you make that push? You know, Missouri, I think Watkins, I looked at, they had three opportunities with rim finishing chances in the first six minutes of the second half, missed them. On the succeeding possession, KU comes down and scores. One of them's a three-point play. That is a 15-point swing. Yeah. You cannot do that in Allen. And that takes that game from being, you know, 45-40 going into the under 12 to a 15-point lead. You just yeah. can't do that and so everyone's gonna look at oh man they they had that five minute slip they did some work in the middle of the second half to sort of mitigate that but there were opportunities there to close it and you know as you talked about there were chances even when they did get it to eight to get it to six and i think i even said something like missouri has just decided that eight points is where it's gonna stop you know really trying to work it there were opportunities around the rim we'll have video of it tomorrow that you know aiden shaw's got two missed lobs there's you know, three transition opportunities they don't cash in. Like you could go up and down the list here of plays that were within Missouri's control that could have made this a ball game where they apply game pressure and they just didn't have it. You know, we can talk about whether the rotation influenced that to a certain degree, but I thought on balance, Missouri looked better. You know, I, I think it was a team that looked like it needed that deserved to be on that floor with Kansas. They went through the same kind of run that everybody else did and found the same problem that a lot of people do, which is they just couldn't make the plays that they needed to do to, to get a result. And yeah, and it is really difficult to win in that building for a yeah. lot of different reasons. I mean, and look, we hate giving Kansas any credit whatsoever. At least I do. Uh, I, you know, I they didn't look like great, but they self. I really like, hate that team and I'm tired of losing to them. Uh, but they're really good. And that's probably a big reason why it pisses me off that like we can't ever seem to beat them because they're just really good and they always win. And it's, it's really just annoying, but uh, you know, like what, and again, like this is one of the things that I, you know, what I, I do and I kind of yeah, put together a lot of like the, you know, the how to watch posts is, you know, going back and looking at the historical aspects and just seeing like, the number of the number of times that like unranked teams walk into fog and get out of there with the win since Bill Self has been there, it's basically non-existent. And you know, especially for uh, a non-conference game, uh, it'll occasionally it's occasionally happened for uh, conference games, but it really like in the last like eight years, nine years, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, which I think is also why for me it was so frustrating because they did have the opportunities and it's just like, and you saw they were, do, they were doing the things they needed to do to make Kansas yeah. play poor enough 
uh, you know, defensively, the you know the way that they were uh, guarding them in the half court, they were frustrating them early. Uh, they were really kind of you know getting to them, and it just didn't didn't quite get it done. What's infuriating too is you could see about at the under twelve, <clears throat> Bill had sort of piece kind of the Rubik's cube together as to what Missouri was doing in the half court defensively and just starts yeah. running sets that, you know, aren't going to feature Hunter, aren't going to feature, feature McCuller, but KJ Adams is a guy that, you know, is probably what third or fourth in your scouting report, but you know, he's a guy where you don't think about him and you're in the course of possession. You're trying to deny Hunter. Oh, here's a little drop off at the elbow. I can sink a little bit. Not KJ Adams has a push shot from the elbow that he's actually worked really hard to develop. It's two of them. Yeah. Oh man, I've got to get middle gap, you know, here so I can take away the driving line to dump off to Hunter. KJ's there and he just slips it. There's a layup. You know, we're gonna go zone to try and change it up and get him out of sorts. Screen the zone, throw a back screen lob to KJ. Like that's why Bill Self is a Hall of Famer because you can nail the scout and he's like, all right, I'll just run these base actions and we'll see how well you know your scouting report. Do you know your personnel? And I love Aiden Shaw, and I thought he, he made a lot of really, really great defensive plays around the rim. But three or four of those KJ plays, he's the one who's supposed to be picking them up. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of that slip, not an egregious one, but just a little bit hesitant to close that down, and it was over. And six of those buck, three, six of those points came during the big run and you know, helped kind of get them over the hump. So it I think that's what's infuriating is you see a staff that, you know, by and large nailed the scout. Guys executed it. But you give one little window to that team. They don't have and they're not playing great either. They are so well drilled. They're so clinical. They will absolutely rip you apart. It's it's infuriating because you have to admire just how clinical Bill is about that stuff. And, you know, you did 85% of the work, but that team will absolutely punish you for the 15% that you leave out there. Well, so let's, you know, maybe spin this in, in a more positive way. Uh, you know, because like, I, I really like, I had no problem being critical after that game. Like, you know, they, they missed their opportunities. And yeah. like, I, I think, I think the coaching staff, if they're doing their job and uh, you know, like they're pointing that out, like, you know, guys, we, we had this, we had this game, we could have done this, this, this. And, you know, instead of being, you know, down 12 or 15 points where we're, we're tied. And is if you're, if you start to put that game pressure on, on KU, then you hope that that's enough to kind of, uh, you know, allow you to get out of there with the win. But one thing that I do think that we really need to give them a lot of credit for is how unfazed they were by the environment. Okay. I never felt I never felt at any point of the game, even when Kansas was on the big run, that Mizzou was just melting down. No. Like, I like maybe you can point to a couple of those air balls as, you know, being Mizzou melting down, but you have Noah Carter in a corner three, Nick Honor in, in like a a side three on a transition. Like, these are shots those guys make, and they just, they didn't make them. Um, And so, they came out, they were up, what, 15 to 6 or something like that. They absolutely looked like they were unfazed by the environment. They stuck with it. They had a, a bad go of it here and there. Kansas made plays. Mizzou came back, made some plays. And, you know, like, I think that 
that's one area where you have to really give credit to the staff and, and sort of how they prepared their, their team, their roster to kind of go into that environment and to basically look like a completely different team than, you know, what we've seen the last couple of years. You lose four pros off of this roster. You lose Caleb Grill, who you're counting on to a wrist injury. Don, John Tanji is, you know, not been available. You're having to play three freshmen, not in substantial minutes. You know, all those guys having to fill some critical time to give guys some breathers. And you look like a team that, you know, probably, you know, should, you know, contend for the middle of a conference. You know, I didn't, I think the biggest thing that struck me last year was just how overwhelmed that roster looked for the moment to be in that building for the energy, you know, you know, Dennis and the staff, I think also deserve credit because I definitely don't think they did what they did a year ago, which was say, we're going to burn the boats and play the way we play. I think that they saw what happened last year and realized what that produces. And they made some compromises in terms of how they want to play. I think the guys who went through it a year ago saw what this thing looks like live. And, you know, again, I think this freshman class, you know, has had its moments, you know, where you kind of go, eh, they look good one day, they don't look the other day. But I, I think the one thing that's impressive about all of them is you can tell they're just very even keeled. I didn't mm-hmm. look at any of the fresh. I thought they made freshman plays, but I didn't look at Trent. I didn't look at Jordan and I didn't look at Ant and say, man, those guys just, you can see the whites of their eyes. I thought they were just guys who they're young guys and they're going through it. But I thought that they, you know, mostly looked, you know, calm under the, under the pressure of what they were going through. So I agree. I think everyone got there. This team looked like it was 19 points better than it was a year ago. And to do that on the road, with the kind of production they lost is, you know, I know you said you don't want to believe in moral victories, but I think you can see kind of the gap close a little bit. And that's, you know, what you want to see before you can beat this team. You've got to find a way just to hang in there. And they did that. So we'll see what happens when, you know, all this talent we're talking about and gushing about gets here and when they can develop it. I I think there's a reason why Dennis has right to be confident in the tone he struck afterwards. I think he can see, what's coming if he can do what he needs to do. So yeah, on the day bad, but I think you can see this thing getting to where we want it to be, which is a rivalry with some genuine stakes attached to it where there's actual real, you know, stakes involved. And where Missouri actually beats Kansas. Like just, (laughs) just beat them, beat those guys. Like that's what I really like. I, if Missouri has a team that beats Kansas, then and and can beat Kansas on a regular basis, then You're you have a program. Right, you have a national title title level team, Final Four level team. Like yep. that's like what else do you want? And I think if you're talking about like our hopes for what we think Dennis can achieve, what kind of a t- talent that he's assembling. You know, the next step is is not just being like, oh, shucks, like, you you know, you, you, you tried hard and, and you kept it kind of close. You know, the, the, the next step is like, like, we just walked into Lawrence and we we beat the Jayhawks like that is the next sort of step. And it's going to be a while before you're going to get the opportunity. Next year is in Columbia. The uh, the two years uh, after that are both in Kansas City. Uh, hopefully. 
they extend the contract beyond that because that is all the contract is was just the six six games, uh, and then you can get another opportunity and uh, and you know four or five years go back to fog. Bill sounds I, like he's softening. Sounds like he's softening on that position. Yeah, you, you know, like the, I, I like, I know I said this. I think I said this last week on the pod. You know, I do think that, like, Kansas put themselves with Bill Self and his, uh, you know, egregious cheating um, to need Missouri for the first time, and and I'll be curious to see like. I, I don't think he also quite realized how popular the game was going to be. And even like, like if you're Bill Self and, and Dennis, you know, gets one, you still got to think like, we're going to get him, you know, the next five, six times because we're Kansas. Uh, and so maybe that ego allows him to just sort of, you know, it becomes like bragging rights where it's just an, an annual game. I think all well, the differences too is Kansas is the big 12 is stable now. And and I think that's that's been the big thing is the Big Twelve's been the aggressor in a lot of conference realignment. The Pac twelve is best dead. Basketball league. It's the, the best country. basketball league in the country. You know, it, the ACC It was the best basketball league in the country. And then they added like like Houston. Hey, hey, and Houston's BYU good. is it, like a top BYU's 15. good. Like, so uh, there's stability there. They they've added Arizona's coming <laughs> into this yeah. league. You like, know, they've tried to poach Gonzaga. So I think from Bill's seat, you know, I, I I liked, you know, what he told Valhe Gregorian of the Kansas City Star, which was, we're not having to look down the shotgun barrel of, like, the Mountain West. Yeah. They, they're they in a stable position. I think the other thing is football looks like it's really, really competent under Lance Leipold. I think just the entire institution, the athletic department there, loath as we are to admit it, is in a pretty healthy position. And I think that makes you willing to look across, you know, the state line and say, Missouri's relatively stable. We are relatively stable. We dominate this series nine times out of ten. Yeah, it's something our fans <laughs> right. It's it it prints money. That's it. If nothing else, yeah. this thing's gonna print money in the PL, you know, after they get there. So I think, you know, Bill's position, you know, has evolved as the institution's kind of stabilized. You know, I think it, you know, when you hear him talk, you know, I know people are, again, loathe to, you know, credit him to much, but you hear him talk about the Big Eight and talk about kind of the, what it was like to play in that, to come up under Eddie Sutton. I think he gets what it means regionally. I think he, I think part of him loves that. And, you know, he's been on both sides of rivalries with Mizzou. I think he understands it. And I think over time, you know, he'll always get his digs in, but I think part of him loves being part of this. And I think Dennis, as we've seen, is such a student of history here. You've got two guys that I think get it, want to keep it going. And again, it freaking prints money, so why not do it? So <laughs> right. I'm I'm going to be an optimist and break my usual pessimism streak here and say that I, I think they'll find a way, you know, as you know, the John Hamm meme, that's what the money's for. They'll find <laughs> a way to make it work. They'll find a way to keep this going. Yeah. Um. Any final thoughts in KU before we uh, we because we do we do need to wrap up. I was going to try to keep yeah. this under an hour, and we're uh, we're almost at fifty minutes, uh, and we still haven't talked about Seton Hall. Show 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 Aiden Shaw a tape of KJ Adams. That that that's my last point. That that show little uh, that little ten foot push shot, um, because that's great, and also the dunks are great. 
And like KJ Adams is good at the dunks, Aiden. So he's good Aiden at cutting just... baseline doing the dunks. You already do that. You just <laughs> need to add the push shot. You just add the push shot. Um, so Mizzou does not play basketball until this Sunday. Uh, they're uh, scheduled to take on Seton Hall. Currently, the Pirates are 86th in Ken Palm. They have a six and four record. Uh, they did beat Monmouth. Uh, that was tonight, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, their four losses are all to top 100 teams. Uh, they lost to Rutgers. Uh, it was the lowest Ken Pomerade team, 73rd. They lost by seven at home. Lost to Baylor by 18. Baylor's pretty good, though. Yeah. Uh, lost to Iowa by, 13, uh, by on thir- 13 on a neutral floor and lost to USC. USC's been really pretty up and down. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was by eight. <clears throat> uh, meanwhile, they have not beaten a team uh, that is ranked inside of the top 200. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't really have a lot of middle games uh, there. The St. Peter's, Fairleigh Dickinson, Albany, Wagner, Northeastern, and Monmouth are their six wins. Coming to the Sprint Center. Um, Get excited, Casey alums. Get excited. Murder balls coming. Yeah, uh, it they they do play a slightly brutal uh, style of play. They're very physical. Um, you know, they they do have good size. They're you know they're going to rebound. Um, this is going to be a task. Uh, they aren't like a great scoring team. They you know that I think they're kind of a little bit like Missouri where they're. They're, they're just kind of okay on both sides of the floor. Um, yeah, I thought they'd be better offensively with a guy like Kadari Richmond and Alamir Dawes. I thought those two would, would have them a little bit better. Well, neither uh, of those guys have shot the ball particularly well. No, that I think that's what I'm getting at is I thought that those guys were going to be a little bit more reliable for them coming into the year. You know, the front line is sort of a mismatch. You know, Jaden Bidiaco, mid-major transfer, Elijah Hutchins, Everett, Everett. Austin P transfer that Missouri like called once Dre Davis was a kid. You know, I saw he's an indie kid um, transferred from Louisville up there kind of a undersized forest type of guy, but you know, I thought it was going to take him a year to settle in, but really you needed Kadari Richmond and Alamir Dawes to sort of be the guys to drive that, you know, bus for them. And it just has not happened for them. You know, Kadari Richmond is, you know, two of 15 from three, you know, He's been okay, but I don't think, you know, quite to the level that they need to to thrive. You know, Alamir Dawes, 103 offensive rating, 31% from three, 42% inside the arc. You know, it'll be fun for Nick and Alamir to see each other in pregame, two former Clemson guys, but <laughs> just not, not the real depth that, that you want to see. They're only about 280th in bench minutes, so they're not deep. They don't have a ton of, you know, proven scoring outside of those two that we just talked about. Um, they're physical. Shaheen Holloway's teams are going to get into you defensively. It, it's going to be a meat grinder in terms of you know what we see in this game. And they also want to they want to make this a slow game. Both teams want to grind you down defensively in the half court. So it'll be interesting to see sort of what what transpires here. Um, the hope is that Missouri's got a little bit more juice offensively. Missouri can shoot it a little bit better. You know they'll have the length I think to throw some bodies at the front there. And you know can you get Sean East creating 
you know, does Nick Honor, you know, trade some drives to nowhere for some spot ups? And can Noah Carter get some traction here and really, you know, give you some efficient offense? I think Missouri, I like as far as the possibility to score the ball a little bit better. It'll be a pseudo home game for them. And it's a game that I think low key Missouri would love to flip on the team sheet. You know, it, it, it's not going to be the deal breaker in getting them in the tournament. But this is one of those games that like the committee's going to look at in quad two and go, that's solid. And it'll start, you know, helping, helping them mitigate what happened against Jackson state. So going to be a tough game, but one, I think that they, that they need to get if they want to try and start positioning themselves to make a move in sec play. Yeah. You know, you, if you're looking at sort of like the Missouri team sheet, you're still kind of staring at the Jackson state loss. Um, everything else is, has gone well away. for them. Um, you know, like they, they need to, like this is a game that I don't really think that they can afford to lose. Um, and not necessarily because like, it's not, it's not a bad loss if you lose, you know, a neutral site game to, uh, to Seton hall, but you know, because you have that Jackson state loss and, you know, because you didn't beat Kansas and you have Illinois coming up, like you really kind of need this win, um, you know, for your team sheet. Uh, and, you know, and I know it's, it's always kind of weird when it's, you know, still early mid December and we're talking about, you know, your, the impact to your NCAA tournament resume. Um, but when you lose a quad four game, uh, that's going to, you know, put you in, in a bucket with other teams that also have really ugly losses on their resume. Um, and that's one of the things that made, you know, Missouri, you know, such a lock last year. And, you know, a lot of people were thinking they were going to be on the bubble and, uh, you know, anybody that, that paid attention, you know, look, you look at their metrics and that look, look like a bubble team, but you look at their, their record, their strength of record, uh, you know, and they they won all the games they were supposed to win. This year, they haven't done that, and so just having that one quad four changes that the dynamics of of kind of like what you need to do. Uh, you know, and so even even a uh, like a quad two level game, you know that is that you're projected to win. You need to win that game. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, the best way I, I asked Watkins to check his sheet. And I asked, you know, Rocco Miller, who does a lot of bracketology and scheduling stuff, you know, where Missouri would be without the Jackson State loss. You'd probably see Missouri as like the fourth to sixth sixth team out right now if they had beaten Jackson State. Like pretty much where they started the season. We thought, you know, that they would probably, you know, look like an NIT team that can maybe with the right circumstances push their way in. Had they beaten Jackson State, even by a point or two, you know, the the net rankings and the Kempom rings wouldn't look would have looked poor because they would have underperformed by 20 points. But somebody would have looked at their resume and said, a lot of teams have struggled. A lot of teams have been through that this year. We've seen this across the SEC and in some other leagues. But they don't what they needed to do. Strength of record metrics are really good. Like if you look at just their strength of record and like their performance metrics, they're a team that probably should be in that first eight to ten teams out category. Yeah. But the quad four loss is disqualifying. So they've got to try and, you know, do what they can. You know, the way to think about it too is they're forecast to beat Seton Hall by two. If they beat Seton Hall by five, six or seven points, 
that starts cleaning up some of the underperformance they've had. So it's not just can they get a win by a point? Can they win by they don't need to make it a 15 point blood, but can they win by five or six and begin backfilling a little bit? And if you can do that against Seton Hall, and even if you beat Illinois by a point, you've overperformed by nine points in expected 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 margin. So yeah. can you get two two possession wins? Could bump you 15 spots in the metrics there, and it's going to help your performance thing. So that's really what's at stake for them in the next two weeks is they don't have to look like world beaters. They don't have to win by more than one or two possessions in either of those games. But those results position them going into SEC play as a team that's right there on the bubble, and that's where you want to be. You know, as you get and there's a lot of SEC play. teams who have not looked great. Um, there's and nine even teams. Some yeah, even some SEC teams who maybe have looked okay, uh, but haven't necessarily had to play anybody with a pulse. Um, yeah, you know, so there's still, I mean, there, there's still a lot that we're going to learn about not just Missouri but the rest of the SEC. And um, I, I say, best thing you can do: go beat Seton Hall, like you said, beat them by at least like five. You want to beat them by ten? Great, 15? even better. Great. Um, but yeah, you definitely like, you know, the, the larger the, you know, the margin, the, the, the better it's going to sort of help uh, some of those net numbers, which I, you know, I think is, is kind of what people are, are kind of looking at with some of the ugly parts of Missouri's resume. Uh, get, last thing I'll say is you can't get in the NCAA tournament non-com, but you can rule yourself out. You can, you can really take yourself out of the mixer you know, with a brutal non-con, you know, we saw it with Vandy last year. Vandy yeah. had a fantastic stretch in SEC play. If you had gone from December 15 on, they were an NCAA tournament team, but non-con can be disqualifying. So, uh, I think that kind of like wraps up what we were going to talk about. There is a lot of bowl, uh, stuff going on for the Missouri football team. Uh, Matt and I are not going to talk about that. This is uh, this is dive cuts. We talk basketball. Um, we could talk football, but I don't really think either of us are the most uh, knowledgeable. Um, so we're going to wait. We're, we're going to wait for for Nate Edwards. I think I think he's still going to record with with Parker this week. Uh, and those guys know a lot about football, so uh, they'll be they'll be back with a new episode of uh, before the box score. Um, so definitely make sure that you have clicked the like button here. The subscribe button, I think, is is right next to it. Um, uh, and, and do all those things for this channel to help us grow. Uh, and then the last thing that I'm going to throw up on the screen here is uh, our collaboration with 573Ts.com. If you go to 573Ts.com slash collections slash rock dash M, you will find a new T-shirt um that that uh, Levi has uh has thrown together for the the bowl game uh as usual um you know we are splitting the proceeds with with 573 he's taking uh you know kind of his cut what it takes to to produce a shirt and we're you know putting the rest towards uh name image and likeness uh every true tiger um you know, is, is the organization there that, that we're supporting. Uh, so go buy a t-shirt. It helps uh, us support Missouri's um, pretty robust uh, name, image, and likeness. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure 
Aaron Rowe is getting taken care of. I'm sure uh, Williams Moneri is getting taken care of. Uh, there's, um, I think, Caden Green is the, you know, the offensive lineman from Kansas City who just uh, is going into the transfer portal and is very likely to get a robust uh, NIL offer from Missouri. Hopefully, he takes it. Um, but yeah, go support that, and uh, and then we will be back. Uh, next week, we'll talk about Seton Hall. We'll preview bag and rights. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate your time tonight. Uh, you can follow him on, on Twitter. You still tweet uh, at MattJHarris85. You can follow me if you want. I don't really tweet anymore. Uh, just follow the flagship at Rockham Nation. Uh, anything that you need to know about Mizzou Sports is, is on. Uh, and on Twitter, it uh, comes from Rockham Nation, uh, at Rockham Nation. And we will be back next week. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Have a great night. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.